We're continuing in worship by opening our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Now it's time for the washing of the word and the glory of the gospel. It's all one big worship event. And we have been learning to take a step as a church because churches that are disciple-making churches create discipleship pathways that encourage disciples to take a step. And that's exactly the kind of church we want to be, a disciple making church. That's our mission to glorify God by making disciples. And so we've created this pathway. Do you know what it is by now? It is to glorify, gather, grow, and that finally brings us to go. We learned that Jesus said, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. So how do you bear much fruit? You've got to abide in the vine. We're the stick. You're nothing but a stick. But if the, if the stick abides in the vine, then it produces much fruit. Much fruit brings much glory to God. So we glorify. Secondly, we gather. You're not only connected to the vine, Jesus, but you're connected to every other branch that's connected to Jesus. And so we gather together. That's why we emphasize church membership around here. We want to lock arms with people moving in the same direction for the glory of God so that we can accomplish more together than we could alone, and then we glorify, gather, and then grow, you're either stuck in sin or you're, or you're growing in grace. And so to grow in grace means we supplement to our faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, godliness, steadfastness, brotherly affection, and love. We covered all of that ground. That finally brings us to the last word. What is it? Go. I want to invite you into a little conversation that Andrea and I have almost on a weekly basis. I'm risking here a minute, okay? I'm going to pull the veil back in the Griffith household, okay? There is a recurring sanctified discussion that Andrea and I have, typically in the car. I usually drive. I like to drive. She likes me to drive, so I'm usually behind the wheel. And um, we will come up to a, a red light. And so I stop and I don't know about you, I've got a lot to do. I want to redeem the time. And so I'm usually thinking about something. I'm either thinking about you or I'm thinking about something going on in the church. I'm thinking about a message I need to prepare so I can talk to you on Sunday. Or I might get a text or something and I don't text and drive, but you're a stoplight, right? So you pull it back out. I'm like, okay, what's going on there? And, and after a while, I will hear from the passenger seat, Andrea make a five word statement. She asked me a question. She says, are you going to go? And I will look up to find out that all of the cars in front of me have moved along because the light has turned green. And it's been green for a while. And the people behind me are getting frustrated. And Andrea is giving me the benefit of the doubt that eventually I'm going to wake up and realize it is time to go. I don't know about you, but this frustrates me a little bit when Andrea gives me coaching tips on driving. And sometimes I don't always have the best response. And I turn to her sometimes and say, I have been driving for six, ever since I was 16 years old. And I don't know if you've noticed her, but I am, I've made it through many stoplights without having to be told it's time to go. Well... My question to you this morning is the same one that Andrea asked me at the, at the green light. The question is, are you going to go? The light is green. And I want to show it to you here in the scripture. The green light in scripture is found here in Matthew chapter 28. We call it the great 
Commission. Do you know the Great Commission? If you look in your Bible, Matthew 28, um, in, beginning in verse 18, if you notice ahead, there's probably a little statement there in your Bible that says the Great Commission. Verse 18 begins this. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you notice all of the alls in the Great Commission? There are four of them. First of all, Jesus says, I have all authority. Do you know what that means? No matter what you may see, there's not one ruler, there's not one politician, there's not one bully, there's not one husband, one wife, one coach, one demon in hell that moves one inch without the permission of Jesus. And all of the things that seem insurmountable to us, all of the difficulties and problems that we see, all of them are required to bow at the authoritative voice of Jesus. And his disciples are commanded by his authority to go. Jesus has been given all authority and he tells his disciples to go to all Nations. Do you see the word nations there in your Bible? Your Bible probably says nations. That's, a, that's an okay translation, but really it's not talking about nations the way we think about nations. We think about the United States of America and geopolitical boundaries and there's, there's a, a president and a government and all those things. And then we have Canada. That's different. That's a different nation. Then we have Mexico. It's a different nation. And then you have the United Kingdom. It's a different nation. And listen, that's not exactly what it's talking about. It's really talking about people that share a common culture. It's, it's talking about people groups, people that share a language, people that share maybe faith traditions, and, and maybe there's some geography involved, but it's really about culture. Missiologists, those who study such things, have identified about 17,000 different people groups in the world. We are one people group. There are probably a few other representations, but because you're here and we live together, we speak the same language, we kind of eat the same food, and we, we kind of talk about the same things. We're, we're a people group. And Jesus says, go to all 17,000 of these people groups. We're required to go to all of them. Thirdly, we learn that once we get there, we are to teach all of the people groups all of the commandments of Jesus. That means that we can't pick and choose our favorites. We have to tell them all that Jesus told us to tell them. You can't shave off the rough edges. You can't soften the hard edges of the gospel so that you might get a more favorable response. We're to teach them all of the things that Jesus taught us, not just pick and choose. And then finally, do you see the final all? He says... Because I have all authority and I'm sending my disciples to all of the people to teach all of my commandments, you're going to need something as you go. What is it? You're going to need me. And so I will be with you 
all the time. I am always with you, even to the end. And so we as disciples have been given a green light to go. We're going to look at four ways that we go. First of all, we need to go obediently. We need to go obediently. Now, understand the pathway here. We've constructed this pathway. Glorify, gather, grow, go. Three out of four is not acceptable. You cannot be satisfied with glorifying, gathering, and growing. If all you do is glorify, gather, and grow, you will stagnate your discipleship. You'll get stuck in the pathway. Eventually, your glorification of God will become spectating in the presence of others who will glorify God. Our gathering, if it's just centered on self, if we don't have an outward focus, pretty soon we're going to discover all the weaknesses, flaws, and imperfections of the people that we are gathering with, and we're going to become critical of those who gather with us if we don't go. And eventually, we're going to grow so much, we're going to be satisfied and content with how much we've grown. We're going to look around and it's like, I think I have outgrown most of the people that I gather with. I'm pretty impressed with myself. I don't think I need to grow anymore. No, unless you have an outward focus, you stagnate the process. We glorify and gather and grow for the purpose of going to get more people to glorify Christ and gather them and grow them so they can go get more people to glorify, gather, and grow to get more people to glorify, gather, and grow. Do you understand the process? It's a cycle. If we do not go, our church will stagnate into a culture of what David Platt calls disinfecting Christians. Why do we go to church? Well, I'm just trying to be better. Hard, try harder. Just, just try to eliminate some bad habits here. Because we just get so focused on ourselves. Unless we get focused on the task of the Great Commission, we will stagnate as a church. And so every disciple is called to go. This is not a green light just for professional, vocational, seminary trained special forces Christians. This is for every disciple of Jesus Christ. This is the discipleship pathway. If you haven't taken the step of going, you are stopping the process of discipleship. Why don't people go? Why don't people go to all of the other people? I think a lot of the reasons is because people just don't understand. They're misinformed about the task. Can I inform you a little bit about the task? How many of you like st- statistics? Do you like statistics? Anybody, you know, like some of you are like, oh, I, now you're ready to take notes. Others of you are going to take a nap. But uh, just, just hang on for a few minutes. Let me, let me just kind of inform you about the condition of the world. Does anybody know how many people are actually on the planet? Um, somebody counted this morning and there's about 7.5, 7.6 billion people on the planet. Can I tell you, I'm 52. Am I 52 years old? I'm 52 years old. When I was a kid, it was half that. In my lifetime, the population of the planet has doubled. 7.5 billion people. Missiologists have put them in people groups. So people that share a common language and culture and, and geography, they found there's about 17,000 people groups on the planet. 8 
thousand of those people groups, 3.15 billion human beings have absolutely no access to the information you're hearing this morning. No Bible in their language, no church in their proximity that's preaching the gospel, no knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? 41% of the world's population will be born, live their entire lives, and die without ever hearing the good news of how to escape the wrath of a holy God. Are you going to go? The light is green. Now listen, I, I, have, I have been heavy this week as I've studied these things and thought about these things. And, and I'm like, I'll go, I'll go. Just like, what do I do? Can I buy a plane ticket? Like, how do I get there? And, and I'll go tell them. But, but then you realize the complexities of that. Many of these people are in closed countries. You couldn't get a visa. You couldn't go there if you wanted to. If somehow you were actually able to get there and penetrate and get to these people, you could not communicate to them in a language they would understand. If you tried to live with them after a while trying to eat their diet, it would kill you. I mean, there's just, there's so many complexities to this. And yet Jesus says, go make disciples of all peoples. Now listen, that could bring a heaviness, but I want to encourage you this morning. Please understand this. Right now in the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ is advancing and flourishing like no other time in human history. As a matter of fact, um, right now, especially in the global south, um, the, the, the gospel is thriving. In Latin America right now, for every Latino that's born, three of them are born again. So uh, that's what's happening is the gospel's penetrating. Right now, most of the missionaries that are sent to those unreached people groups are not coming from the West. They're coming from other people groups who have been, who've, who've received the gospel and are maybe even a little closer to those unreached people groups and they're going in. We live in a culture that is minimizing the gospel and it seems like the gospel is shrinking. That's actually good news for gospel preaching churches because you can't fake it anymore because people are actually going to persecute you for being a Christian and it's not going to have any advantage unless you actually believe the gospel. And so it actually makes the the boundaries much simpler for us. People don't come to church anymore just to be fake and phony because we'll run you out of here. We'll just make you feel uncomfortable. It's like, man, there's demands on my life, this holiness stuff, it's way too much. I think I'd just rather be part of the other team. Thank you for identifying yourself. Or you could believe it and be saved and escape the, the wrath of God. But the lines are drawn more clearly. But understand this. Globally, an estimated 50,000 people become Christ followers every single day. Is that good news to you? Does that encourage you? That is fantastic. Now listen, the, I, I go back and forth. It's like a roller coaster. We baptized about 50 people in our church last year. Really? 50? 50? It took all 2,000 of us to baptize 50 new believers in Jesus like one a week is that is that really or or could it be that maybe we're not taking the 
maybe we're not going. But the good news is, God is going. God is on the move. 3,500 churches are planted in the world every week, just like the one we planted a couple of weeks ago in Budapest, Hungary. In 1965, practicing Christians made up 4% of the world's population, about 90 million. And today, again, in my lifetime, that number has doubled. Practicing Christians make up about 9% of the world's population, 680 million. That's good news. But understand this, we're not even keeping up with the population growth rate. That means this, for every 10 new followers of Christ, 45 new people are added to the world's population. So people are being born faster than people are being born again. Most non-Christians in the world are isolated from where Christians are in the world. And globally, 81% of all non-Christians do not personally know a Christ follower. Do you understand what we're saying? We're saying this. If every member of every church in the world were to win all of their relatives and all of their friends to Christ. And all of their friends and relatives were to win all of their friends to Christ. And so on and so on. There would still be two billion people in the world that would never hear the gospel. There is a chasm between the Christian world and the non-Christian world. But Jesus says, Are you going to go? Are you going to somehow figure out a way to cross the chasm, to jump over the wall, to penetrate the culture? This is the Great Commission. The Apostle Paul one day was commissioned by Jesus to go. And he said it this way. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How many of you believe that? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't believe that, please call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. But then, once we have that knowledge, what are we going to do with it? How then will they call on him whom, in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone going and preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone sends them as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news how many of you think if we had a contest in this room for the ugliest feet you might be a winner how many of you think it's like I might win that contest good news you can get a gospel pedicure. (laughs) You want to upgrade the beauty of your feet? Then go take a step with those feet to take the gospel to people who have yet to believe the gospel. How are they going to hear unless we go? How are we going to go unless someone sins? And so this is the great commission. Not only do we need to go obediently, we need to go purposefully. Purposefully. That means that we need to understand what this word go means. Now, 
In Matthew 28, 19, when it says go, the, the, the original meaning actually means as you go. The assumption is you're going. Do you go somewhere every day? How many of you go home every day? How many of you go to work every day? How many of you go to school every day? How many of you go play tennis every day? How many of you go to football practice every day? How many, how many of you go to the mall every day? How many of you go out to eat every day? How many of you go to Starbucks every day? So here's the deal. Everybody goes somewhere every day, right? Jesus says, as you go, understand you go with a purpose. Around here, we like to use the term live sent. Do you understand? We, that's part of our culture. It's part of our language, DNA. Live sent, live sent. What we mean by that is we don't just go to work. We believe we are sent to work. We don't just go to school. We are sent to school. We believe that every step we take is a purposeful, preordained mission trip designed from the foundation of the world by a sovereign God who has sent us as his ambassador in those places where those people have yet to believe. Again, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, this is all from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How many of you have been reconciled to God by faith? Raise your hand if you've been reconciled to God. If you've been reconciled to God, you need to be reconciled to God. If you haven't been reconciled to God, repent and believe the gospel. If you've been reconciled, you've also been sent with the message of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. You say, well, only... Only God can reconcile someone. True. How does he do that? He does that through us. Do you understand that God has given no other way for a person to be reconciled to God except through the message of the gospel that comes from disciples sent to make disciples? And so our message is simply this. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. We don't make up the message. We just distribute the message. We didn't write it. We just deliver it. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're, we're building something over here. How many knows we're building something over there? People have been driving by like, what's going on over there? What are you building? What's happening at the church? What's building? You know what we're building over there? We're building a distribution center. That's all that is. And if you think we're going to fill that place up with a bunch of Bible fatheads that just sit around and grow, you are mistaken. We need a place to glorify where we gather, where we can grow, where we can go, be sent from. That's a launching pad so that we can be obedient to the gospel.
This week I was talking with Dr. Dan Kletzing. How many of you know Dr. Dan Kletzing in our church? Dr. Dan Kletzing, he's the MVP of the church. I was, I was like, he's the MVP, all right? So Dr. Dan, he, you, if you know Dr. Dan, everywhere he goes, he goes as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So today, uh, Thursday I was talking to him and he said he was talking to another doctor in our community who uh, was, uh, uh, he, he, he immigrated from an Asian uh, country and he was here as a doctor, very well-educated man. And, and uh, these two were talking and they got on the topic of um, uh, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete running for president. Did you, know, did you hear about that? And, uh, and, and, and Mayor Pete, you know, he's in the public spot eye. So everything he says is magnified. And so Mayor Pete's made some political statements. And in the process of that, he's also made a lot of theological statements. And so the conversation just kind of went there. And Dr. Dan didn't want to talk about politics, but he sure wanted to talk about theology. So he just started talking about our createdness and original sin. And, and this guy's leaning in. I've never heard of those things. Talk, tell me more. And, and so it was a bridge to the gospel. Now they could have talked about medicine. They could have talked about surgery. They could have talked about politics, but Dr. Dan understands his purpose is an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's the way we should live. As I was studying this week, I, I learned some ways that missiologists talk about these types of things and, and they have what's called an E scale. You notice here that different levels here. E zero is what we call sharing Christ with people who are part of Christian families and Christian peoples. This means as parents, we talk to our kids about the gospel. I mean, people in our own circles and, and maybe even people in our churches, like if you, if you believe the gospel and it's like, do you understand the gospel? And so these are people like in very close proximity to us. But then one step beyond that is, is an E1 level where we engage people and talk to people about Christ who are outside the church, but within our culture. So these are people that are in our pathway. We go to school with them. We go to work with them. They speak English or another language that we can speak and they drink our coffee and eat our food. And it's easy to communicate with them about football and politics. But are we willing to take the the leap and go to them with the gospel. Now, you do not have to leave in order to go at an E0 or an E1 scale. You just have to go where you go. But when it comes to E2 or E3, now we're talking about actually leaving and going where they are. So at an E2 level, sharing Christ is with people from different or but similar cultures. And then E3 is the hardest of all. It's sharing Christ with people from a radically different culture. So this is learning a new language. It's, it's learning new culture. It's learning to eat food that we might find detestable. And, 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 and it's living with people maybe for decades or or. Or, or centuries before we actually are trusted enough to speak the gospel where it's received. And so these are different levels. Now listen, sometimes we have to leave to go. Most of us don't have to leave. We just have to go as we are going. And I want to challenge you to lean in and to live sent. Thirdly, we go urgently. Why, why are you so passionate? Why are you screaming at me about this? Can't I just be content? And I mean, we live in a pluralistic society and it's like, can't we just kind of live in our corners and everybody has their little section? No, 
Jesus has sent us to go. And in Acts chapter 26, again, the Apostle Paul met with Christ and Christ said this to him, I am sending you to do these things. Open their eyes so that they may turn from light to darkness, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and have a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's our task. Now, do you understand the people that we are engaging, their condition, according to this verse? They are blind. How, how would you talk to a blind person that was about to step into traffic or, or about to run into a wall? Would you, would you like scold them because they're so stupid they can't see the wall? No, and that's not our attitude as as those that are sent, we go with compassion and, and we protect and, and with respect and love, we try to help them to see what God has opened our eyes to because at one, one time we were blind, that they may turn from darkness to light if they could only see the glory of Jesus and turn from the power of Satan. These people are under the control of the enemy of God, Satan. They are not our enemy. They're in, in the grip of our enemy. And our job is to give them the gospel so that they can turn from the power of Satan to the power of God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Now listen, in our culture, we have to be aware. You just march right up to somebody and say, you need a savior from your sin. They're gonna look at you and like, what is sin? We've lost the whole concept of God's holiness We've lost the whole concept of our sinfulness. And so we have to talk to them about this holy God who's revealed his standards to us in his word and, and talk about how that's impacted our lives and how we were gripped by these things and, and, and we felt so, so um, in, in, under the judgment of God because he is holy and I'm not. And you discovered that no matter what you had done, no matter how far you were from God, that you could be treated as if you had never sinned on judgment day. Because on the day Jesus was crucified, God treated Jesus as if he'd committed every sin. And if you put your trust in Jesus on judgment day, you'll be treated as if you'd never sinned sinned. This is the message that we're out there delivering and those that believe will have an eternal place among those who are sanctified by him. This past week I was reading through and praying through the, the list of prayer requests that you people put on the register as it goes by. At least you're supposed to put your name and a prayer request on that register because we actually pray for you when you do that. And I saw um, a praise that a 17-year-old young man in our church had put on the prayer request. This is what he wrote. He said, um, he said, I was given a big opportunity to share the gospel in what I believe with my tennis team at a party. They just kept asking questions and I answered them to the best of my ability. Do you hear as he was going to tennis? As he was going to the party, 
he was living sent on purpose. He identified as a Christian, which if you identify as a Christian at a party, you're going to get some questions. And I knew who this was. I talked to his mom and said, well, tell me more about that. And she told me, oh, th these were the questions. When he identified as a, as, a question, as a Christian, the first thing they asked him was, why do you hate gay people? I'm like, wait, I just said I was a Christian and you assumed I hated gay people. You're also assuming God hates gay people. Uh, God loves gay people and I love gay people. I respect people, but I also believe that God's revealed what he thinks about sexuality in his word. And as a follower of Christ, I follow what Christ says about things like sexuality. And so, you know, he's doing his best to answer the question. The second question they asked was, so why does the Bible say you can't date in high school? He's like, well, I don't know if I've read all the Bible, but I don't know if, like, is that in Leviticus? Because I don't know. He's like, no, I didn't say the Bible said you shouldn't date in high school. I just like, I don't think I should because I don't want to be distracted and focus on other things. And, and just like, that's just a conviction. And the third question was, if somebody gave you a million dollars for sex, wouldn't you take it? So they're asking they're asking these questions about, so at what point do you sell out on God? Million dollars to sin? It's a million dollars to go to hell? Wait, did you just say if you had sex, you go to hell? And that's not what I said. If you don't have forgiveness of your sins for sexual sins, then yeah, you go to hell. You go to hell because of unforgiveness forgiven sin and we're all sinners and so it's whether it's sexual sin we're all sexual sinners we well we all go to hell if we don't have sin forgiven right last question so you believe I'm going to hell I don't know if you're going to hell or not I'm just like you know God, the better question is is there a way to escape it God is holy. I am not. I need a savior. His name is Jesus. Repent and believe and you can be treated as if you had never sinned and you can have an eternal place in heaven among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I read the mission statement of a uh, a sending organization called Frontier Missions that sends missionaries to unreached uh, Muslim groups in places like India. And their mission statement was great. It says this, with love and respect, inviting all Muslim people to follow Jesus. Yeah, so we balance our conviction about the exclusivity of Christ with our compassion for people who have yet to have their eyes opened, who are wandering around in the dark, who are under the power of Satan, who need forgiveness of sin. With love and respect, we invite you. Come follow Jesus. It's an upgrade over whatever else you're following and everybody's following something. We go urgently. That story about the 17-year-old, it reminded me of the 17-year-old version of me. Um, when, when I was in high school, um, really, I, I, I loved to play football. I, I played football all through high school. Um, I was a linebacker. I played just like Jeremiah with a little less speed, a little less size, and a little less ability. Besides that, <laughs> I'm Jeremiah. So um, 
I, I, for five years on the practice field, I always banged heads with the guy. He was the guard. I was the linebacker. And so he's always blocking me. And it's like, his name was John. And um, so I learned how to share the gospel. And I wanted uh, John to hear the gospel. And, and um, um, on my 16th birthday, my dad gave me the world's greatest birthday present. Can I show you what my dad gave me on my 16th birthday? Here it is. Yeah, that's what I said too. And um, that is a 1967 Mustang. Same year model as me. And so my dad, he, it didn't look like that when it came home. Okay, so it was, it was, he bought it in a junkyard for 400 bucks, rolled it in the garage, a year later, rolled out of the garage, it looked like that. Okay, so I was driving the Mustang and, um, and, I, I, uh, and John, my, my football buddy, he said, uh, when are you gonna give me a ride in the Mustang? I said, well, the Mustang goes to church every Sunday morning at nine o'clock, okay? So if you want to ride in the Mustang, I'll pick you up at nine o'clock. And he said, sure. So I picked him up and we went to church. John heard the gospel. He repented of sin, put his faith in Jesus. He was baptized, became a follower of Christ. He went home, told his parents, his dad was not a fan. He got mad at John and forbid him to go to church. It was really sad and John really didn't know what to do. He's kind of an over-controlling guy, you know, he's authoritarian. John's trying to keep the peace, so he didn't go. John and I graduated from high school. We kind of parted ways and really hadn't had touch with him for like 20 years until God created Facebook. And then, you know, then you get reunited with all the people that you hoped you'd never see again. And uh, <laughs> there they are. So, you know, so John and I, we, we like started talking on Facebook like a decade ago and we became we kind of reunited our friendship. I hadn't seen him in like 35 years, but last month I went back to Oklahoma to see my mom and I just mentioned John. I'm like, hey, John, you want to meet for, for dinner? We were going to go to a high school football game, go to our team. And, um, and sure enough, he came, we sat, we had dinner and uh, we took this picture and, um, he told me the rest of the story that I didn't know. So what's happened in the last 35 years? This is what he told me. He said, because I couldn't go to church, I really didn't grow much as a Christian anymore. And um, he said, I drifted away from the Lord. He said, I got married. I was married for about five years and the marriage went sour. We divorced. But then God really used that to draw me back to him got back involved in church, got back under the authority of God's word. He said, I started pursuing my ex-wife again. We remarried. We were divorced for eight years. We've remarried. God has restored my marriage. We're plugged into a church. We're living sent. And oh, by the way, I got to lead my dad to the Lord the week before he died. Now listen, the reason I tell you that is like, it, if, if some, you know, 17 year old version of me, you know, can figure out a way to just invite somebody to church. I know what some of you are thinking, especially if you're 16 years old, it's like, well, if I had a Mustang, I could do that too. <laughs> 
It's like, no, you can use the 1996 Cavalier, you know, whatever you got going on. Or, or a text message or a personal conversation. Can we have coffee? Can we go to lunch? Why don't you come over? We've talked about so many things. We talk about politics. We talk about football. Have I ever shared with you the most important thing in my life? Could I take 15 minutes and just share with you the most important thing in my life? Learn to share the gospel with one Bible verse. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You, I've led people to Christ with one Bible verse. You can do that too. Learn to share his story. Learn to share your story. Man, I heard that Bible verse. I realized I was separated from God and I just felt weight of my sin, but then I found out Jesus died on the cross and God treated him like he should have treated me so he could treat me the way he really should be treating Christ. It's a wonderful thing. If that makes sense to you? Does anything like that, anything like that ever happen to you? Would you like to come to my church? It's just, just we've got to go urgently with this message. Finally, we've got to go confidently. Jesus has surrounded the Great Commission with his power and his promise. Remember the power? All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. Don't miss the therefore. The reason we go, the purpose we go, is because Jesus has authority. I can't make somebody believe. I can't open somebody's eyes. But Jesus can. He has all authority. And the same God that's chosen who? has also chosen how. God knows who will be saved. He has his elect. But the way that the elect are saved is by sending me to talk to people. I don't know if you're elect or not. I just got to share the gospel with you. And then God opens the eyes and they repent and believe. We go with his authority and we go with his promise. He said, I go with you. It's not even so much that Jesus is saying, go. He's saying, come, I'm going. You come with me and I will be with you. And so we do this with such confidence and we wanna make it so practical for you to take a step. And again, first thing that we can do is just to pray and say, Lord, I'm a fraidy cat. Worse than that, I'm an introvert and I, I don't even like people, but you told me to go and so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I just need you to give me that power. And you can pray for unreached people groups. You may never speak to them, but you can speak to God on their behalf. You can download an app from the joshuaproject.net. It gives you an unreached people group every single day to pray for. You can engage your small group in these things. You can pray for these people. We can give. Every time you throw into the offering, everything that's given here goes toward fulfilling the Great Commission. And really over half a million dollars of our budget every year goes right back out the door for missions and church planting. You can mobilize. It just means we're discipling people and part of the discipleship is we go. That means when you're leading a small group in youth group or keeping kids in the children's ministry so parents can hear and they can hear. We're mobilizing people. We can send people all over the planet. We can send people to, to places like Iraq. We can send people to places like Hungary. We can send people downtown. We can partner with Transformation Ministries or Hope or Project uh, Warm. Uh, there's all kinds of avenues. And we've created a great web page on our website to, to detail all of this. If you go to mygospelcity.org missions, you'll see all of the opportunities, the pathways to get you going. We can welcome people. 
I don't know if you've heard, they're coming to America. I think somebody wrote a song about that. They're all coming here. All 17,000 people groups are seeing, they want to come here. And I don't know what your political view is about immigration. I really don't care. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you ought to be excited to welcome people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, every people group. We need to denounce every vestige of elitism and racism. Maybe God's sending them here because we've been so reluctant to go there. And so engage people you see with the gospel right in your neighborhood, the nations of the world are living. And then we can go. Go home, gather your kids. I'm going to preach the gospel to you right now. I'm gonna practice on you. And then I'm gonna to go to somebody else. I'm gonna go local. I'm gonna go on a short-term mission trip. What are those opportunities? In January, our men are going to Puerto Rico. There's 10 spots left. You've got one week to sign up for that. We can sit here and preach sermons about it and talk about it and pray about it, or we can go. Another opportunity is for our college group. They're going to Miami in March. There's another group going to Belize in July. You can go to Liberia with Kevin and Lori Corhorn. You can talk to them. You can go to Ethiopia with Bob Hogart and, and Steve Gundy. You can go to Hungary. You can talk to me. You can go on a trip with the International Mission Board that we're now partnering with. If you want to go, there's nothing stopping you except your own insecurity and your own disobedience. And so let's take the step. Go home, go local, go short, go long. My football career began in the backyard. And there was just this gang of kids in the neighborhood that would get together every afternoon. We'd, we'd put together a game, you know, you choose size and I was always the last one chosen, but, but uh, I'd get in the huddle. It seemed like I was always the smallest guy on the team, right? We'd get in the huddle and quarterback designs the plays, drawing in the dirt. And I, every time we get in the huddle, I was like, look, I'm going long, I'm going long. Just throw it to me, okay, I'm going long. He never threw me the ball. Why do you think he never threw me the ball? Because I hadn't learned to go short. And if I could like prove that I could catch a short pass, he might throw me a long one. Before we get all excited about going to the unreached, the people in different cultures with different languages, why don't we go right where we are and live sent? I wanna invite you to stand together. Heads bowed, eyes closed. My question to you is Andrea's question to me. Are you gonna go? The light is green. There's nothing in your way. Would you tell the Lord right now in answer to his simple command? Yes, Lord, I'll go. I don't know where, but I know I have to go. Let me ask you this, what face comes to mind? What name comes to mind that you need to go to in the next seven days before you gather again in this place, before you grow anymore? Who do you need to go to? 
And Jesus, we admit we're a bunch of Freddy cats, and um, yet we believe that you have all authority. You have sent us to all people to teach them all the commands. And we know that you will always be with us. So God, we trust that. Put us in the pathway of people that need to hear the gospel. And we pray for the unreached people groups in the world right now that are living in blindness, in dark places, in the grip of Satan. God, would you release them, do a work. May there be a breakthrough and use us to catalyze that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you've not yet been reconciled to Jesus, you don't need to go, you need to come to Jesus. Our pastors are always here at the front. We would love to give you the opportunity to be reconciled to God through Christ by faith. You are sent.